Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. In this podcast, we talk to experts in and around the analytics industry. One week, we may talk to a data scientist from a FANG tech company. Then the next week, we may talk to a data engineer or business analyst, or even I may pull one of my consulting clients so you get to hear from an executive on how they use data to drive business decisions day in and day out. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, which is a boutique consulting agency that focuses on analytics for medium to small size businesses. I'm also a professor at Greensboro College, where I teach analytics. Most recently, I have founded the Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program, which melds these two job functions together. This is your opportunity to work directly with me and one of my clients. The Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program is a three-month program. In the first month, you're going to be completing the Analytics Foundation Certification backed by Greensboro College. Then in month two, you're going to be taking that knowledge base that you developed in month one and applying it out in the field where you're going to be working with one of my client's executive teams where you're going to be solving a business problem using data and analytics tools. Then in the third month, we're going to bring it all together with a full month of career services. Now, this is going to be quite a bit different than the typical career services at a university or a college. Here, I'm going to help you build a professional brand around where you are as an analyst. So in the first month, you have worked with a ton of different data sets. We're going to take the data sets that really resonate with you to help you hone in on your ideal entry-level job. We're going to build a Tableau public portfolio around that area of expertise. We're going to razor focus your resume and LinkedIn. And I'm also going to coach you on how to talk about yourself in an interview setting. So if you're ready to break into the analytics space, head over to learn.silvertoneanalytics apprenticeship. And there you can learn more about the program. And if you're interested, you can apply. With all that being said, let's start the podcast episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So we've got a really fascinating episode for you today. Connor Brown here is one of my Greensboro College students that is minoring in business analytics. And what I've done is I've brought Ken G in to remake and give criticism to his Tableau public portfolio, which the students have been working on for the past month. So I wanted to just kind of take a moment to intro Connor so you'll have context going into this conversation. So Connor, you are a math major. Yes. You're also taking a fifth year as an undergrad. Yes. Which is a really smart move right now because mm-hmm. the job market is abysmal. Yeah, that's not the best right now. So so tell us a little bit about yourself, just so they'll they'll know you, so you're not this unknown mm-hmm. entity. So yes, 
like Professor Ariansen said, I have, or I'm doing a major in mathematics and doing a minor in business analytics. And I am part of the golf team here at Greensboro College. And so that one of my visualizations we talk about is the stats on the golf team and um, how they can be improved. Awesome. Yeah. And you pulled that data from the Greensboro College website. Right? Yes. Yeah. Sweet. So yeah, I think that is a pretty good quick intro for Connor. We're going to be talking all about Tableau Public Portfolios, and this is an awesome way for you guys to get some insight into kind of the thinking behind building out an effective portfolio. Without further ado, let's jump into the podcast episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So I've got a really interesting podcast episode today. So it's a collision of two of my worlds. So Kenji, you know, the now famous YouTuber, 100,000 subscribers, is now getting hooked up with Connor Brown, who is, I mean, he has just put in his hours in my Greensboro College class for case studies and business analytics, and just gone above and beyond and put probably like, Connor, what would you say? an additional 20, 30 hours into building out your portfolio? Yes, yeah. I mean, you said you were up to 130 the other night, just like obsessing over like the color scale and the yeah, grading. So, okay, so for this podcast episode, we're going to follow this structure. So number one, me and Ken are going to talk about the importance of portfolios. Number two, we're going to talk about how we would analyze portfolios. And this is, by the way, kind of self-serving because I want Ken's advice on how I should grade my students because uh, this week is, you know, finals and I have to get a grade out to my Greensboro College students. Number three, we're going to actually critique Connor's visualization. And then number four, we're going to wrap things up with how to talk about your portfolio in an interview. So I guess let's kick things off with that first question. Ken, what would you say is the importance of building out a analytics or data science portfolio? So I think sharing your work is one of the most important things you can do when trying to land a job. It is the clearest way that someone can evaluate your skill. In a technical field, such as data science, as being a data analyst, whatever it is, it's a very clear way to articulate what you can do for a company. So if someone sees that you've made a beautiful visualization uh, on a project of, of your own doing that you're interested in, they are likely to assume or, or infer that you can build something like that for their company as well. So rather than going in and being, hey, can, asking, hey, can you build this? You can show them that you've built something like that rather than just tell them. Uh, there's other huge benefits as well is if you build a portfolio, you share the things that you're working on, opportunities might start coming to you. You know, if you have a blog, if a blog gets some traction, I have had quite a few friends where they've built something out and they just start getting job opportunities populating in their inbox. They don't even have to go out and find something. The things that they want generally just come to them. So there's obviously those two things. I think it's also just a good practice to share your work in the business setting. You have to share these things. Um, you, you have to put your stuff out there because it's going to be circulated internally in the company. And uh, there's also one last major benefit where you get really good feedback from sharing your work outside. Mm. You, you probably scrutinize it just a little bit more if you know someone else is going to look at it. Right. Have you interviewed Michael Galarnik yet? I actually just did. He's coming on in uh, the episode will probably air in maybe 10 weeks, but I'm a little bit ahead on my production schedule. So he's been on my podcast twice now, and he is the poster yeah, boy killer. for, uh, I think his data science blog is getting 150 to 200,000 hits a month. And he now has more inbound um, data science projects than he could ever take on. I mean, if you wanted to, he could spin up his own um, data science consulting agency and just start subcontracting all the opportunities coming his way. So absolutely, I agree that a portfolio is essentially a marketing tool for you. So you can... Instead of explaining in an interview, oh, yeah, I know how to you know, build a portfolio in Tableau. I know all about you know, how to use visualizations effectively. You can say, hey, let's pull up this link, and I can show you what I've done. So I think, um, like, the, the, what is the, the saying? The proof's in the pudding? Like, it's there, it's tangible, and you can kind of dissect it. And also, too, I think that this is a really cool secondary 
benefit of building out a portfolio is, and Molly, by the way, so my friend Molly has been listening to the podcast. She's trying to transition in the analytics space. I mentioned this concept called an emotional bid in one of the previous episodes. And I would say not only can you market yourself, but you can kind of show the human behind the work. So a prime example of this is if, Ken, you were the interviewer, and I guess you interviewee. So Connor would be the interviewee. Ken would be the interviewer. You guys both did golf. You both played golf in college. So this is an immediate emotional bit. So you guys can talk about, I mean, off air, they just, they just shared the story about a golf fight, which I've never heard of before. So this is a huge yeah. value of a portfolio is that you can show yourself off and then, you know, maybe you, something you build or you're, you're visualizing is it connects with the interviewer on a more personal level. Yeah, you could share all those things through projects. That's kind of an ancillary thing that I really stress is you want to do projects that are that are passion projects for the most part. You're going to be willing to put a lot more effort and and time into them. But it also shows something about you. You know, that emotional bid you were talking about, I've found really good success with that for making videos. If someone Googles my name, videos are probably one of the first things that come up. And if someone watches a video, They've already heard me speak. They already understand a little bit about me far more than probably any other candidate that they're interviewing. So from having, it's a little bit of a different style portfolio, but from having something out there, whether it's a video, whether it's a GitHub, whether it's a Tableau public, you have that little advantage, especially if other people don't have as robust um, an amount of content out there. Right. And I'm in this, I don't want to like hyper fixate on this one point, but this is kind of the difference between hard skills versus soft skills. Um, Cause Ken, we've talked about how marketing yourself is only like the purveyor of hard skills. It's kind of the red queen scenario. You're running as fast as you can just to keep up with the latest trend, you know, the latest in analysis. But if you connect with the interviewer on a personal level, I mean, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of leeway. And that, I think that sends a very strong signal in the interview process. Yeah. In almost every interview I've ever done, you sit down, you go through all of the technical skills, you say, okay, can they do this? And then you basically go around the room and say, would you like to work with this person? Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily get people in the door. You have to have that bare minimum of technical skills, but it sure as heck lets you cross a lot of people out if, uh, if they do some stuff that, you know, it's just like unprofessional or whatever that might be. Right. So the saying that Dr. Hall, my new co-host, has actually said, hard skills get you to the door, soft skills get you through the door. Yep. So almost nice exactly. Little, yeah, it's a nice little catchphrase there. All right, let's move on to the second point. So Ken, I, and I'm for very selfish reasons, I want to know this. How do you analyze portfolios? So I think it's important to make a differentiation between a data analytics or visualization portfolio and a data science and machine learning engineer portfolio. So I'll, I'll, because you're focused more on the data visualization, I'll only touch very briefly on what is important in a GitHub portfolio. So the first thing that almost everyone looks at is the documentation. Is your code clear? Are there good comments? Is the readme effective? Because when you're working as a data scientist or machine learning engineer, you're often working with other people. You often have to, uh, you know, like push your code. You have, you're working in GitHub very frequently. So you need to know how to use that platform and you need to have other people be able to understand what you're working on all the time. So that is a huge thing. I mean, the second thing you're looking at is the, the creativity in the projects. Are these people thinking about answering problems rather than just shoving algorithms into a, a specific data set? <clears throat> so, I mean, those are two main things. I usually recommend having a reasonable breadth to show that you have abilities with these different types of tools, but also show that you're answering problems. That is one of the biggest things. On the visualization side, there's a little bit of a, of a different um, philosophy or, or different goal. And that's to be very clear about your communication with the business stakeholder or the end user. So the biggest thing that you should have is that your, your visualizations are easy to understand. They could be beautiful, they could be whatever, but if the end user does not understand what it means, it's effectively useless. So that's my biggest thing is the ability to 
understand the data and how it's being presented. The second thing is it's understandable, but is it useful? Are you tackling a uh, important problem? Does the visualization show us something that we couldn't just get from looking at a table of data? Is it giving us additional insight that can help us make the decision that, uh, that we're trying to by analyzing it? Uh, the third thing is kind of the style. It's matching the graph or the visual to the specific problem uh, using the correct types of charts to convey the information most effectively. So those are three things that I think are pretty relevant. I'm, I'm definitely forgetting something, but um, you know, when, when we're answering these problems, we have to think about how they'd be used in the workplace. And if we're you know, a manager or a business stakeholder who's kind of going in and asking for the help of a data analyst or visualization specialist, I think that's the most effective way to frame how a portfolio works and what we should be looking for in it. Right. All right. So let, now let's, let's bring Connor. I feel like, Connor, you've just been sitting there. You haven't been talking very much. So what is the point of the visualization that we're going to be analyzing um, in the third kind of phase of this, this podcast episode? We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one -on -one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Well, I have... Uh so we can pick either one but uh, okay. one was the uh my first one i made was uh analyzing all the stats from my golf team so the individual players on the team and the team as a whole and how we performed uh compared to the field we were playing in and the other teams and then the other visualization i made was about um the polling data from the 2020 election and how it compared to the actual um, percentage of votes for each candidate and how the margin of error for the polls was high for 2016 and how it, uh, if looking at if the polling institution corrected itself for the 2020 election or if it still had flaws. Interesting. Yeah. And I, and I, so Kenji, I don't think you've seen these yet. No, I sent, I sent you a link to his portfolio. I've seen the, I've seen the golf one. I, I actually have your portfolio open. So I would like to let's do let's do three of them if you don't mind because there's a couple things I want to point out in like the sales data or survey data. Mm -hmm. um, I recognize that you didn't put as much time in those, but I think there's one specific thing that I want to highlight. It might roast you a little bit, but I'll, I'll be friendly because it's something that a lot of people are uh, are not aware of. So why don't okay. we start with that and like a little bit of constructive criticism? And we'll move on to the golf and then finally with the polling. Does that right. sound pretty good? Yeah. Sweet. Let's pull up just the sales data one real quick. All right. Do you want me to share it or would you prefer to share it? What's, what's easier, John David? Uh, can, you can go ahead and share it since you're kind of driving the ship here. Uh, just so, to give you guys context, you know, podcast listeners, uh, this is a case study that we went over in class. So this is, all, you know, fictional data that, um, you know, when it was a whole month of case studies and Monday, so we meet Monday, Tuesday, Monday, I would just give them the data. They would go through the data and just kind of analyze it. And then we would talk through kind of the case study at a high point. So what are the KPIs? What is the game quote unquote being played here? So sales, it's, you want to increase sales, you know, or you want to find opportunities or pockets where, you know, there might be some insights that can lead to, you know, even growing the sales more. And then on Wednesday, we kind of put it into a, um, 
kind of a structure. So I kind of like KPIs along the top and then your visualizations, which are the dimensions of your KPIs visualized. Awesome. <clears throat> so I, I think that there's just some some light form things that I wanted to, to touch on. Um, so I, I think that, for example, the revenue by channel, revenue by device, these are effective ways to convey this information. I think that that's really strong uh, using, I guess, like it's the stratification chart, which is a, a version of a line chart is effective here um, for revenue versus the transactions per week. Um, you know, there's like a little box mis mix match there, but that's something very small. Um, let's hone in on this graph. So I, this is something that I, I learned from one of my visualization specialists on my past work is we see that there's uh, red and there's also green. So in, uh, in the workforce, especially if you're in finance or, or tech where it's heavily male dominated, um, about one in 10 men are colorblind. And so red and green is extremely misleading or, or it can be a big problem because you know one in 10 people won't be able to interpret the chart. So that's something that I, I think is, it's not obvious, people don't think about those things, but if you're really trying to convey uh, very effective information to as many people as possible, that's something that I always think if someone brings that up in an interview to me and they're like, oh, you know, I didn't use red and green or, or like that's a problem with a chart, uh, that always impresses me. One, one interview tactic we would do to hire visualization people is we'd give them uh, like a, a sheet of paper with a bunch of different visualizations on it. And we'd ask them like, okay, are these good visualizations? How would you change them? How would you improve them? And that's one thing um, we wouldn't explicitly be looking for that, but we'd always be impressed if they came to that conclusion. Any questions? Yeah, well, to pause to you there. So the way that we did it as a class here was a, a blue to light blue color grade, but Connor didn't want to do that. <laughs> but Connor, now you know why, right? So yeah. I think that that's kind of the, the fun of that there. And I, I do think it's important to experiment with colors. I mean, colors, again, this isn't my like super area of expertise, but I have enough experience with it that, um, you know, colors are really, really important. Um, especially if you're working with a specific organization, like in business and like finance, for example, you're used to seeing red and green, um, you know, green is usually good. Red is usually bad. Uh, but in, you know, circumstances like golf, right? Red is usually good. And I, oh, I guess it's black is not great, but, um, but you know, it's 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 understanding the context of the situation, um, and uh, I think that that's just like a fun little little additional piece there. Mm -hmm. But I mean, regardless, it's it's still a good visual, um, and that's something that you know it's one of those little intricacies that I think uh, can can help going forward. So, looking at this page, so this is your college golf team. So obviously, this is just clearly a flex to show that you're you know, you're dominating the rest of your team, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, if I was making the visualization, I'm going to put myself on top. Yeah. Why, why didn't you just highlight yourself I, in the picture? I, too, you you know? literally <laughs> stole my joke. I was like, why, why isn't there like a, a Jesus crown behind you <laughs> or a halo? So, you know, I, most people probably haven't looked at as many like college um, golf websites as I have. Mm -hmm. they usually have a little either a small infographic or they have some statistics about uh, the individual team. Uh, this is a lot more in depth than most of the, um, you know, most of the things that, that I've seen out there. I think this would be a huge upgrade on almost any uh, college website for understanding how the team is performing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in terms of, I actually like to hear from you, who is the end user? Who is the target of this audience? And what are you trying to convey? Is it the team? Is it the outside fan? Like what is the, the kind of onus for creating the visual? Um, well, the main reason I created it was mainly to visualize everyone on the team and say, okay, like compare within each other on the team to see where who's lacking in what aspect, like, we can see that Swink and or Zach Swink and Troy Stribling are struggling on their par five average. So 
that they can then tailor their practice to more of that aspect of their game. While as someone who's worse at something else can tailor their practice towards that. And then the average percentile rating was kind of more of from a coaching aspect to go, okay, well, if I need to make a decision on who to play, it's like we can look at Scott and me would be the top two um, people who place in the highest percentile for the field we're playing in. So it would be more beneficial to play us because we'll have a better finish a higher percentage of the time than those other players. Cool. So this is mostly internal for the team and the coaches, correct? Yes. Okay. I would um, like, whether it's a text box or something like that, I think it's important to, to clarify that that kind of is going into the, the message of, Hey, like, like who is this for? Because if it's for a outside consumer, like a fan, like say someone's parents, mm -hmm. I mean, this would still probably be useful, but it wouldn't be quite as useful. Um, and I also think that like you want to, um, also, also well, one big thing that I would recommend is having like a little summary thing where you just have everyone's like overall scoring average as well. Um, like par three, par four and par five. Yeah. Yes. Very compelling, but a very simple thing where you have the aggregate of those things. Um, because independently we can look at, okay. Um, we can look at Zach, but well, Zach's kind of struggling a little bit. Um, but you can look at, you know, yourself and say, okay, he's a little bit better than the average there. He's way above the, uh, above the average on par fives kind of killing it. I see. But, um, but yeah, I, th I think that that's like a relevant uh, adjustment to make is just to have a, a sum of these things um, when you are taking apart the components. Um, and that could be, you know, maybe you have like a, a hover and you can see their total scoring average. That's a great way to use interactivity if you don't feel like, you know, if you are running out of space or something like that. Um, but that, that would be relevant there. Um, the next thing, I think percentile is really good. I, I think before I, I looked at this and you were using uh, like place and obviously place isn't normalized. There's a different number of people in different fields that, that can be problematic. Um, I think it would be useful to have percentile maybe flipped or doing something with a scale where lower is better um, mm -hmm. just because that's how we're used to thinking in golf. Um, you know, for, um, for this as well, I think maybe if you're under par, uh, which, which I guess the team generally is on par fives, which is pretty normal, it should be, uh, having a slightly different color, just to, to bring that out, to, to kind of draw your eyes to that. I think you use color effectively with, with the team, but there's other ways to, to improve on that. Um, and the last thing that I would probably make is a team line for the birdies and bogeys per round. So what the averages are, so you could see where everyone was relative to those things. Um, I guess that's really, you know, the majority of my critique here. I think this is a really good visual. Again, this is better than anything that I've seen on the college websites, but um, there, you know, there's definitely some improvements to be made, uh, mostly around just giving anyone viewing kind of the zoomed out perspective rather than the zoomed in perspective. Any, any thoughts, John, David, any, any feedback there, Connor? I don't speak golf. So you guys are way above, you know, my head here. Um, no, but I, I, I love what, I love what you're saying here. Um, I, I think it's really cool that you rooted it down. Like what's the use case and who's the end user. Cause I think that, um, that shows a level of critical thinking. Like I can empathize with the person who's going to be using this and I can walk through, all right, what's their user experience going to be like to find the value, which the value here is the team can use this. And essentially I, I like to call them like, it's almost like a data app, which I don't know, maybe that's cheesy coming from, you know, your data science world can, but I mean, for the typical like non-technical user, this is essentially a data app. It's interactive and they can use it. So what I would say is I built an app that the players on my golf team could use to drill down on where they need to work on their golf game. 
Yeah, and I like the filtering. This is this is practical for the use case. It's dynamic. It's it's relevant. Problems when you click P. Okay. Um, so you know you could. I would for all of your visualizations in the um, in this part where you can do the description. That's where I would put the. This is who it's for. This is why I made it. Um, and any other kind of relevant relevant uh, information there. I think that that's. There's no need to put it on here unless you really wanted to, but that's an effective place to, to put it. Mm -hmm. Awesome, you wanna move on to that last and final visualization? Yes, so the, are the polls wrong one? And Connor, this is the one that you spent like hours upon hours getting the uh, uh, aesthetic right. Expand it in the bottom right hand side to see the bottom. This one? Yeah. Uh, okay, I was like, I wonder what the, I was like trying to figure out what, what this is. Mm -hmm. um, very cool. So it looks like I'm just going to read it out loud. The 2016 presidential election was a major realization that polls miscalculated what the chances were for Hillary Clinton to beat Trump. In this graphic, we're going to look at the polls for the 2020 election. Oh, if the polls for the 2020 election were correct in hopes of saving the trust of in polling establishments. So you have it by state, basically. Um, and rather than doing it alphabetically, you did uh, average. Okay, so average, the, average leaning. So if the average poll was leaning more towards Trump, they're more towards the left side of the graph. And if the average poll was leaning more towards Biden, they're more towards the right side of the graph. Okay, I, I gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, that makes sense. No, no, I mean, you mean the top and the bottom, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. 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 Um, I think that that, that makes sense. Um, I, I wouldn't have necessarily immediately understood that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would maybe switch leaning for Trump and put it over here. I'm All still right. sharing my screen, right? Underneath mm -hmm. and then leaning for Biden and putting it over top there. Mm -hmm. um, I think that would just like visually help me understand that a little bit better. Um, because, you know, most of this data is above over here. And most of this data is below over here. So it's like more closely labeling things. Again, a very, a very small critique there. Um, the poll differential is pretty cool. So you have Arkansas clearly being the largest. Um, Again, I think uh, having an aggregate metric would be the most useful uh, as well. So like on average, I mean, you have it down here, right? Yes. Yes, um, on average, they were five point, or 6.1% off. Yeah, I would try if you, if you could to have maybe an additional text box up here mm -hmm. or something like that. I don't know, I can't remember if Tableau has the functionality where you could, um, you can like highlight multiple like that. Oh, you can, sick. Mm -hmm. um, so if you did that and it would show the the average like error in that, that would be pretty cool as well. Um, so we could look at all, all the places that were leaning for Trump and say, okay, sorry. Okay, of these places, what percent of the polls were wrong? And then you go on the other side and say, same thing. Um, what percent of the polls are wrong? that we're leaning for Biden or how far off were they? And like that tells just one more level of the story, which is like bifurcating it between political parties. So I think that that, I mean, obviously polling has, has some major issues. And I think that your visualization clearly shows that, but one extra step can show um, like even in more detail, like, how that translates either across parties or, or just breaks it down a little bit further, which I think adds value. Again, this is, I think, a very good visualization. I think the text is tasteful. Um, and uh, yeah, those are just a couple, again, small things. Uh, it, it would be fine as is, but just making it a little bit more clear and having that overall aggregate metric. I think it's pretty clear in this one also who this, uh, who, who the viewer or who the, the consumer is. That's all I got. What do you think, John David? 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that um, a KPI card maybe up at the well. So Ken, this is what I told the students, and I don't know if you agree or not. Um, it's kind of like reading a book. You read a book from left to right, top to bottom. The most important KPI should be in the top left. I mean, that's kind of like my go-to methodology. Um, granted, I'm, I'm teaching like I'm I'm teaching a class, so the you know each there may be variances from that in specific use cases, but this is kind of like my general methodology. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I'm a big believer in, so in, in, in business school and stuff like that. You talk about bottom line up front. So I want the thing that is most relevant at the top of the page. And if I want to go further in depth, I can read more or I can fool around with more, but give me the most important thing right at the very top so I can make my decision if I need to, if I'm crunched for time, I get, I get the gist of it. If not, I can go back through and, and really analyze everything. So Kim, uh, Kim, what do you think about him posting this to like, our data is beautiful? I mean, yeah, the fact no, that I, it's, it's political, absolutely. there might be a, it might be a dumpster fire. <laughs> I don't think that this makes any, uh, I, I haven't read all the text very carefully, but I, I think making a statement to say that the polls polling is is awful is not a political statement it's just like a a factual statement that we know i mean i think democrats are pissed about that in 2016 and you know i don't know if anyone's really upset about it in 2020 but it's an inevitability that this is like this is something that should be resolved um, and just pointing out the problem, I don't think has any political leanings. It's a matter okay. of saying, if, if you're saying like, this has implications of XYZ for XYZ party, that probably does. So yeah, um, yeah no, I, I think this would be fine on there. Uh, you know, I've had experiences on Reddit where you post something and it just gets shredded, but like that's Reddit, right? I think if you posted this on LinkedIn, that would, that would be fine. I think if you posted this on plenty of the platforms where people have a face, or their name attached to it it's always a little bit um, right that anon friendly. Yeah. that anonymous nature of it people yeah. will just go straight for the jugular yeah, um exactly. what were you saying oh, no, I, my, my biggest thing is if i post something under my own name and reddit i just get like no one wants to hear it if it's from you but if someone else posts something it, it's great like it's 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 very <laughs> interesting the dynamic yeah that's true well because it's all it's what at that point it's self-promotion but I mean, so Connor, posting this on sites like Reddit or LinkedIn might get you noticed and you might have a person who's looking to fill an analytics position proactively reach out to you. So that, that, that way you, you completely bypass the need to like go on LinkedIn jobs or Indeed or Monster or wherever, and you have like a straight shot to um, an interview. And you're kind of already, you've kind of already sold them on this too, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with the like divisiveness of it that's i try to take an approach in the very just they're wrong doesn't like i at the bottom i said that they were uh like six states under predicted biden's performance and 43 states under predicted trump's performance but like i tried to stay just basically with the main message of they're mainly wrong and that needs to be fixed right yeah. I mean, if it was yeah, six states on both sides or 10 states on both sides, that would probably be a better outcome, right? But if you're so severely underrepresenting one party, that's uh, that's a bit of a, a bigger issue. That's not a, well, in theory, it's not a political issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like your idea of um, just having the main, the average uh, percentage differential up top so that people, if they I mean, people, some people won't read all the way through. They'll just look at it and be like, okay, whatever. And so if you have the KPI card up top, it's just automatic. They see it and go, oh, 6.1% off. Yeah. You know, one thing that might also help is just having a title for the graph. Okay. Um, that just very explicitly says what it is. So like, mm -hmm. um, you know, the... I don't off the top of my head, I probably couldn't name this very effectively, but I think in seven or eight words, you could very easily convey what, what this does. And that's immediately what their eye would be drawn to. And that mm -hmm. could help with the interpretability. 
right? Like polling differential, maybe. Yeah, something like polling that. differential by state. Right. Like actual versus predicted uh, poll results by state, something like that, you know? Okay, so now let's move on to our kind of fourth chapter of this podcast episode. And I'm throwing you a curveball here, Connor. So I'm putting you in the hot seat. So the hot seat is something we do in class. Like after we do a case study, um, we'll, we'll, we'll find one specific insight from the data and I'll pull a chair up to the front of the classroom and have the students sit in that chair and we have a mock interview and they're explaining it to me. And I then kind of open up, like, like we do that role play, the students critique the, the, the student who's kind of in that hot seat and then I'll kind of give my thoughts. But it's, it's a good opportunity for them to kind of get, sweat a little bit because it's like you're up in front of an audience and the audience is like hawking you, like what, do, what are you saying wrong? And I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all like, you know, and good, good natured and like kind of growth oriented, but let's do that now. Right. So, how, many, how many people have cried so far? <laughs> <laughs> I cry every day. <laughs> I'm so proud of my kids, my students. I love it. I love it. <laughs> all right, Cotter. So which, which of the two visualizations do you want to um, explain to um, your interviewer here, Dr. Dr. Ken? Mr. Um, master Ken, sorry. Master Ken. Master, Master Ken, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, either the polling or the golf data, because I, I've spent enough time on those where I'm pretty sure about the insights I've taken from either of those. Okay, let's do, let's do the um, golf, golf one. So you can just pretend that I'm not here and you're doing a Zoom interview with Ken. All right. Would you like to share a screen or should I just pull it up again? What's the most effective way to? Why don't you just talk about it? Okay. Because, well, okay, actually, this is a good point. Ken, do you think that in an interview setting, would you have an opportunity to pull up your visualization? Yeah, really? I usually would. Yeah. I, I'd say, okay. okay. Um, here, I'd, I'd ask you to share a screen. And I'd be like, walk me through what, walk me through this. Ta tell me about this visualization, why you decided to create it, and then go through kind of each of the features. Okay, let's let's do that then. Yeah. All right. The I have to turn Connor sharing on. I think. No, no, no. he's allowed to share. Good. You are. Why did you decide to go with the iPhone sized screen? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, interesting choice there. Uh, oh, let me get it up. Okay. Uh, well, the iPhone size screen was the one thing I could get to make sure all of the uh, data was appropriately shown on there. And if this would to be posted on a school website or some other college's website, it could easily just be scrolled through instead of visualized as just on the computer like that. Makes sense. All right. Tell me, just tell me, walk me through top to bottom of this visual. What do you think is the most important? What are you most proud of? And what is the biggest thing that you would like someone to take away after looking at this? Um, I think the most important thing is being able to compare between the team, between the members of the team, who's doing better in what aspect so that each individual can then look at their performance compared to the team and be and tailor their practice towards um, improving that aspect of their game because golf is very individualized and everyone kind of has their own strengths and their own weaknesses in the game. And one of the other functions that I'm proud of is the average percentile. So from a coaching perspective, you can look at the performance of each one of your players in the past few tournaments and determine if their ranking, how they finish in the field would warrant them to be able to play in the next tournament, because you want the guys performing the best to be able to play in your next tournament. Makes sense. And how, so for example, how would knowing that I struggle on par fives relative to the team help me to improve? Like what is the actionable um, 
what are some of the actionable things that I, as a college golfer, could do about that? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you see that your de- your par five scoring average is pretty high, you can look back at your previous rounds and do some analysis to think, okay, well, a lot of these par fives, I've went for the green and two and I've ended up going in the water or hitting it out of bounds. And so maybe having a more conservative approach onto par fives would be more beneficial in lowering the scoring average, whereas hitting in the water and then taking the drop would lead to more bogeys and doubles. Laying up would take out the the fear of a double or a triple bogey, which would lower your scoring average. Can you think of a way with the data that you have to perhaps integrate some insight that would take you further down that road uh, on this on this already existing visual? Um, well, for the, the majority of players, I think on our team have a, make most of their birdies on par fives. So looking at the par fives bogey birdie per round, there seems to be a correlation with like Zane and Troy having high uh, bogeys per round and then scoring worse on the par five averages. That makes sense. So um, one thing I would recommend is not now that I'm kind of diving further into this is for the birdies and bogeys per round, you could probably filter that by par threes, par fours and par fives, right? Yes. So that would be something that would give anyone viewing this especially as a player, a bit more insight into their performance. So let's say um, we look at Troy and it's like, well, Troy, you know, on par fives, you're not making nearly as many birdies as anyone else, but you're making around the same amount of bogeys, right? Maybe let's be a little bit more aggressive. Maybe that like, like it just narrows it down slightly more that I think that that would provide additional value. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, yeah, that's kind of one thing that, that I was, uh, I think you were close to, to, to nailing, but that's something I would really like to point out. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I think that, again, uh, that's, that was a pretty effective way to communicate these things. You did a good job explaining who the audience was. Um, I, I would always just ask that you go kind of always think about the next step deeper that you can go uh, in, in consulting. There's this idea of a, a third order insight. And so the first order insight is like the obvious descriptive statistic. The second order insight is like what you've done with part threes, part fours and part fives is saying, okay, we can narrow this down even more. A third order insight is that we can say with the par five average, we can help them understand what, uh, what area, whether it's, they're not making enough birdies or they're making too many bogeys and that can help them understand their own game even more. Um, and those are the types of insights that usually are what people get excited about in the business space. Those are the ones that save money. Those are the ones that are not obvious because it takes that re-tiered thinking. I'm going to push um, back on you, Ken. Hit me. I, th- I, I think I would go in the opposite direction. I, I think that you didn't kind of, first of all, great job. I agree. But I would back up and say, what's the use case? Say, okay, like, at a very high level, because I can, I think you're right. Like the, there, there is some methodology there, but I think um, when you're communicating and I don't know if this is a business analyst side of things, like the whole spectrum, I'm on the business analyst. You're way over here on the data science. Um, when you're talking to executives, I, I often say, if I'm being cute, that I, I essentially make picture books for very influential adults. Like they want to know this box is bigger than this box. So do this thing. So, you know, maybe there's gradations of the advice that I'm going to give versus the advice you give kind of as a data scientist. But I, I would back up and say, so, you know, I realized that Greensboro College did not have a great way of visualizing their golf data. So what I did was I pulled data from the Greensboro College um, website, put it into an interactive dashboard so that my team could drill down on their stats to figure out where they need to practice more. So that would be my take. It's interesting, Ken, that you went deep. You went deeper, and maybe that is a kind of just a different job function. Me being a business analyst. Yeah, no, I, I think it, we had already had a conversation about 
kind of those high level things. So I wanted to get a little bit okay. more into the weeds. Uh, no, I agree a hundred percent. I think the, the first and most important thing is like, who is this for? What's the value that it's creating? Um, but I also think, you know, Connor did a pretty good job, like at a high level answering those questions after we'd worked it through the first time. You know, I think we've, you know, where I think we failed. I think, I don't think we did a great job of saying, all right, and seed. <laughs> let's <Correct. laughs> like, like there, there was like, we kind of like, we're talking about, all right, let's do a, a mock, you know, um, interview. And I think what just kind of started, it wasn't like, all right, now let's start, you know, introduce each other. Cause yeah, I think that like, before you get into all of that, and I don't know, uh, this, this is something I tell the class often is that start at the very high level. It's a very, very basic stuff. And then, which is, is, is exactly what happened within this mock interview, Ken, is that you started asking specific questions. Then you show your work. Then you show the math. Then you show the details. But you don't start there because what you think might be interesting about this may not resonate with the audience. So you, there's, a, there's an active listening component of this. Correct. Awesome. Well, I think that, that pretty much, I know you got you to gotta go pretty soon, right? I go. do have to scoot in three minutes. All right. So any closing advice, Ken? And I'll, by the way, thank you so much for coming on. This was, right, this was incredible. Yeah, happy to help. You know, I, Connor, I think, I think you're well on your way. This is very effective, but there's always ways that we can make kind of subtle improvements that um, make visualizations or make projects more relevant to the users or more useful. And so I, I think the high level thing to take away is that we just want to convey information more effectively. We want to make sure that anyone who's seeing these things, one, immediately know what it's about, like if they're the correct consumer for it, what they're finding out of it, um, looking at maybe zooming out a little bit and saying, okay, this is the, in both of these things, this is the high level insight that we want. Maybe for the golf, it's scoring average. Maybe for the other one, it's like the average difference in the actual versus the poll. Um, and then also when you need to zooming in, but doing it in like a very effective way. So we're talking about the birdies and bogeys per round, just adding a filter for par threes, par fours, par fives. It doesn't substantively, some substantive, uh, whatever the word is, uh, it doesn't completely change the visual, but it does really add another insight without messing with any of the aesthetics. So Hopefully that information is very useful. Again, John David, thank you for having me on. It's always, always a pleasure. Awesome. And uh, again, Connor, I hope this was helpful on your end. Oh yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. I'll Happy see you. Help. <laughs> Perfect. Have a good one, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye now. Bye. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.